Joshua chapter 6, verse 12 says, Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times, and the seventh time it happened. Say it happened. It happened. Say it happened. It happened. When the priests blew the trumpets that Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So our, our Jericho conference, we heard testimonies on Wednesday night that were just so powerful to hear what God did and how he did it and, and uh, the different ministers that ministered to individuals and, and what we were all able to receive on different days and from different people. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, even some of the healing that took place physically, you know, uh, Liz talked about her hip, Ray talked about his knee and, and the things that we believe and know that God can do, but to actually see it happening around us and to us was powerful. I think we're going to hear some more testimonies, uh, maybe this Wednesday and others that, that haven't shared. They've shared some things with me that I'd love for the rest of you guys to be able to hear about uh, as this week goes on. However, uh, it leads me into what I want to share, the, the, the shortened series, I guess you would call it, as, as leading up to Jericho, we looked at deliverance, and we talked about all these different areas of deliverance and kind of laid a foundation, and then we had a week of Jericho and dealing with these walls in our lives and, and what needs to come down, what needs to be changed, this transformation that, that we're hoping for. So our series for the remainder of, of August is, is titled, uh, When the Walls Fall. When the Walls Fall, right? We, we talked about <clears throat> deliverance from fear, deliverance from comparison, deliverance from our flesh, deliverance from isolation, being far from, uh, from God and the men and women and the people of God and the word of God. So again, laying that foundation then seeing what took place when you set aside a week, one, one testimony, somebody called me this week um, uh, that was a visitor, thank God for visitors, uh, that came out to Jericho this year. They had been there several times before, but they said, this year I made a commitment to be there all seven days. Monday through Sunday to be out there and, and this individual, she told me that things started to happen where it would have been easy for her not to make a night or two or easy for her not to make the Sunday morning service. And she felt like uh, she got more out of this year than any year before and part of that was just her commitment to say, I'm going to be there, I'm going to overcome. So to hear again the things that God was able to do after our, our series on deliverance, you know, you can come to church and learn all kinds of stuff, but, but how many of you have come to understand that if it doesn't become real and impact your life, man, what, what good is the knowledge, right? That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You can get the knowledge, but if you don't have the wisdom to impl uh, uh, apply these things into your life and test God, I love the testimony, Gary, to get up here and say, look, I started to learn the word. They said that we should tithe. The word says that we should tithe. And, and I had the wisdom, excuse me, I had the knowledge, but I didn't have the wisdom to actually put my faith behind it. You don't see the power of God until you do that, right? So where are we now? We talk about deliverance. We learn about deliverance. We go through a, a conference that's ultimately about deliverance and Jericho's and, and walls falling down. And then you get to the place where I feel like many of us might be this morning is, what do you do when the walls fall? What do you do when the walls fall? Sometimes I think we get frozen in shock because many of us never thought we would be where we are able to see the walls down. Many of our Jerichos, they've been around so long <laughs> that we don't even know what it's like to see beyond them. We don't even know what's inside the city. We don't know what's beyond that in our lives. So when these walls come crashing down, many of us, it's happened to me, I'm just paralyzed. Well, what do I do now? What's the next step? How am I supposed to act? How am I supposed to respond? What do I need to do next, Lord? On Sunday of, of our Jericho uh, conference, that's kind of what I ministered on. I talked about seeing yourself beyond your Jericho, beginning to pray and say, like, what would my life be like without this in my life? What would my life be like and feel like if I didn't have this anger, this frustration, this lust, this, this debt, this whatever it might be? What would you be like without it? And beginning to, I realize myself how hard it is to see myself and many of you, how hard it is to see yourself beyond your Jerichos. So what I want to share with you this morning is what, the beginning of what we need to do when the walls fall. 
the very next step. So first, take the land. <laughs> Say, take the land. Take Say it like you mean it. Take the land. Take the land. If somebody was like, hey, take the keys to my car, you'd be like, I'll take the keys. I tell you to say, take the land. Take the land. <laughs> Let's try it again. Say, take the land. Take the land. What good is it if the walls fall if you don't take the land? Wow, that's amazing. Lord, look what you've done. The walls of Jericho have come crashing down. I've been delivered or it's been delivered into my hands. The very first thing we need to do is actually take the land. Joshua chapter 6 verse 20 says, the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet that the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and from there bring out the woman and all that she has as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel, but they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. So when the walls come down, the first thing we have to do is actually go in and take the land. I, I feel like um, uh, encouraging you, those that were not able to be at Jericho, maybe missed a night or two, get into the church app and listen to the messages. Uh, Pastor Reuben, uh, was it Pastor Reuben on, on Monday night? Um, he talked about uh, the, the Good Samaritan story. Oh, but, but he, no, Pastor Adam talked about Rahab. He talked about Rahab and what her, you know, being a harlot, being living on the wall, that being her community, and then where she ends up in the bloodline of Jesus. Like, the foundation, I'm just trying to encourage you, listen to the messages, please. We're not going to talk too much about Jericho itself today. Walls come crashing down. You have to go in and take the land. The inhabitants of the land, listen to me. The inhabitants of the land of Jericho, they are already discouraged. They're already fearful, and they're already weakened. And then those of us who are with the Lord, we are emboldened and confident because we've seen the supernatural power of God to bring a wall down. You see the atmosphere that, that's created here? Think about all these people inside the city of Jericho, the inhabitants of Jericho. They've watched us circle for seven days. Then they've seen something that they did not believe could ever happen. The wall comes crashing down when we shout. They're afraid. They're scared. They know that God is on our side. And then here we are walking and hoping walking and envisioning, walking and thinking what our lives might be like if this wall were to ever come down and then supernaturally God from above brings the wall crashing down. You've got scared people inside and emboldened believers on the outside. Something still has to happen though. We have to go in and take the land. It's as if the Lord is saying, you still have to fight. Like this isn't a spectator sport. Somebody say amen. We ain't going to uh, Isaiah's house, young adults. I might try to sneak in. We ain't going to Isaiah's house. Like, let's watch people fight. Let's look at uh, Mayweather and Conor McGregor. And let's watch them throw blows. Let's watch them bleed. Let's watch them fight for supremacy. That's not the Christian faith. We don't watch others fight. You ain't here to watch me, and I'm not here to watch you. We all fight. We all have a fight that we have to engage in. Somebody say amen. God's saying, look, I'll bring the walls down. I'll show them that they have no power and authority over you, but you better put on some armor and go fight. It's as if the Lord wants us to look our enemies in the eye and slay them with our own hands. It's easy when other people fight for you. It's easy when other people are slaying giants for you. But God says, this is your promised land. You fight for it. These are your Jerichos and your enemies. You slay them. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. I hope that makes sense to you this morning. Like, you have an enemy. We all had different Jerichos. It's a silent prayer walk. I don't know what you prayed for, but I know it's your own Jericho and your own enemy that's trying to, uh, to maintain that land that belongs to you. In Isaiah chapter 14, listen to this. It's talking about the enemy, the one who, who, who had the title to Jericho in your life. It says, how... This is uh, Isaiah 14, 12. It's up there for you. 
How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above all the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the most high. That's Satan, right? This is what he said. Verse 15 says, Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? Satan is a beast. <laughs> Satan is a force to be reckoned with. Especially if you want to come against him in your own authority and in your own power, you will be defeated. However, if you come against Satan with the authority and the power of God, with the love of God and with the word of God, he cannot stand a chance. Most of us get slapped around and, and we have all these Jerichos because we, we try to accomplish things on our own. God says Jericho battles are, are my battles. Listen to, what it, listen to what it says. If you put on the armor of God... You have the word of God. You have the love of God. The walls come crashing down, and there's Satan looking at you, right? It says that if you come in the authority and the power of God, this is how you'll talk to him. Is this the one who made the earth tremble? I expected you to be in here like super swole. I expected you to be like Incredible Hulk, and I was going to come in, and I was going to be little David and th throw a rock at you and hope that you fell down. And you get inside, and you get to see, like, is this, this is the one that had all these cities? This is what I was afraid of. This is why I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust you, God, to overcome in this area. You made the earth tremble. You shook kingdoms. You made the world as if it's a wilderness and you destroyed cities. And you would not open the house of all the prisoners and look at you now. Why was I so afraid of this Jericho before? Why was I so fearful and hesitant? God could do all that on his own, but he says, look, you've got to fight. You've got to take the land. Another thing about fighting for the promised land is that when you fight for it, you're not so easy to let it be taken back by the enemy. When you had to, to bleed for something, when you had to fight for something, when you had to contend for something, right? When you had to, to get counseling to hold it together, when you had to get help to keep whatever it is that you had, you fight for these things, and then you don't so easily let them go. The promised land, if somebody gives you something, most of us are just, we don't value it as much as if we had to fight for it and purchase it ourselves. <clears throat> There's probably things in your life right now that, that it doesn't have a lot of value to other people, but you're like, man, I knew what it took to get this, and I knew how long I had to save for it, and I knew, I knew how many girls I had to fend off to keep him, and I knew how, you know what I mean? Like, you fought for something, you want to keep it, somebody say amen. Amen. God has given me everything that I have. There has been some fighting, though, and I don't plan on giving anything back to the enemy. This is my wife and my marriage, and I will not give it back to the enemy. Those are my kids that went off to class, and the enemy can't have them either. I fight for them. But if somebody just gives us those things and said, hey, I'll take care of your kids. I'll take care of your wife and your marriage. You know, do whatever you want to do. Y'all don't have to fight for it. It's just hand it to me. There was some fighting in the area of what it means to become a man of God and what it means to be faithful, what it means to become a father. I mean, there's a fight that has to take place. And if you engage in that battle, you won't so easily give up. <clears throat> Ephesians 6.13 says, Take up the whole armor of God that you'll be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit, he says. When the walls fall down, you have to actually go harder than you were going before the walls fell down. In the years past, at the end of Jericho, I've been so tired and so weary, I'm just like, man, I can't believe I made it. <laughs> This year, even physically, the, the men in our church, 
Uh, the women as well, they stepped up, they set everything up, they tore everything down, they, they transported things back and forth between the church. I didn't know what to do with myself. I don't know what it's like to not have to actually labor. I like doing those things, but they wouldn't let me do anything this year. So at the end of the year, or at the end of the, the conference this year, I felt like, man, I've got some energy, what should I do? And God's like, well, listen, you were just walking. It's time to fight now. <laughs> it took seven years to get there, but it's like, all you did was walk around the city and watch me bring walls down. Now you need to put on some armor and actually go fight. Amen. The Lord directed Joshua and all the people. He said, burn everything and everyone that will not come under the rule and reign of Christ. When you go into the city to take the land, he says, this is what God said to him. When you get in there, kill everybody and kill everything and burn the city down. If it doesn't belong to me and it will not come under my rule or reign or authority, it cannot be in your life beyond this point. They slayed everyone. They burned the city with fire. There was complete victory and a definitive end to Jericho, and that's what God wants us to have. Complete victory and a definitive end. Think about the things we've been struggling with. Think about the things you've been praying about. Think about the things that you've, you saw God begin to, to move in. Maybe the walls came crashing down. What do you do now that the walls have fallen, right? You go in and you fight, but what kind of fight, what kind of end are we fighting unto, right? Complete victory and an end, complete end to everything, definitive end of whatever that Jericho was. Nothing lingering, nothing hidden, there are places <clears throat> and things and people that we can never go back to once God has delivered us. Amen. That sounds tough, Amen. but it's just the truth. There are places you can never go back to once those walls fall down and you go in and begin to take the land. There are people you can never go back to once God has brought those walls down and you go in to take the land. There are things that you can never, ever go back to. They've been burned, completely consumed. Is that the kind of victory you've had in your Jericho? Or are we still kind of frozen in awe that the wall has fallen down? Nothing burned, nothing consumed, nothing definitively over, never to uh, play a role in your life again. Rahab and her family they were open to the God of Israel, and they were saved, but they were saved on God's terms, right? They go into the city, and everybody's got to die. These are some of the Old Testament things that people struggle with. Come to our Wednesday night Bible study. We'll, we'll talk about them. But for today, just listen. God says, go in there and kill everybody, men, women, and children, and everything that's living in the city and everything that's not living, it gets burned uh, as well. But Rahab and her family... When the spies first come in, she says, we know that your God is the real God. He's the only one that, that there's hope in and victory in, so they're open to the things of God. So when everybody dies and everybody gets consumed, Rahab and her family are saved, taken out of the city. But listen, what did it say? They brought them out, but they kept them outside of the camp of Israel. They didn't let them come live with them yet. They said, look, we know you're open to it. So you're going to be saved from this death and, and fire that's coming upon everybody else. However, it's on God's terms. You don't get to stay here. You don't get to tell us what you want to keep. You get to keep your lives, and you have to come out and follow us. We are the people of God, and we are going towards God. You follow us. When we completely remove ourselves from people in situations and circumstances so that we can take the promised land that belongs to us, there may be some that have an openness to the God of heaven that we serve. There may be some that say, man, your God delivers. Your God is powerful. Look at how your life has changed. I remember when, when you lived in Jericho and now your Jericho walls are falling down. Like, I'm open to it. Tell me about this Jesus. It's the same thing with Rahab and her family, right? We love them and we pray for them. We completely separate ourselves and we say, look, if you are open to it, it's going to be on God's terms, not your terms. You're going to have to come to where I am. I ain't coming to where you are. You're going to have to follow me as I follow Christ. That's hard. How many of us just want to go back to Jericho where you just get to walk and pray? Oh, Lord, just do it all. Don't make me make hard decisions. Don't make me separate myself in high school, in college, from other couples, 
even though they're grown, grown folks and married, and I'm just gonna say I gotta separate myself from them because this is my promised land and I've gotta be completely separated. You guys wanna hang out? We love you, we miss you, we care for you, but it's gonna be on God's terms. Come to church with me. Come to a couple's event with me. Let's go out in the middle of the day, not at night, where we're going to go get faded. No, it's going to be on God's terms, not your terms. Amen. See, we've got to take the land. Somebody say amen. amen. Number one, take the land. We've only got two today. Number two, determine if there's been a true change. When the walls fall down, what you have to do and what I have to do is we have to make a determination. Has there really been a change? Ultimately, ultimately, there has to be something more happening than what we see physically. See, in the physical, we saw the wall fall down. In the physical, we see us and, and our friends and family decimating the enemy, separating ourselves from things we need to be separated from and people and places that we need to be separated from. We can all see that in the physical. I'm watching Facebook and people are posting things and God is so good and, you know, we got hands up. The physical Jericho is, is it's just visible and we can see that. But ultimately, there has to be something happening more than what's going on physically. In the beginning, I remember how hard it was to just go to church. And then I got saved into a fellowship that wants you to go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays. It's like, Lord, why don't you save me at like Calvary Chapel where we just go on Sundays? <laughs> they want me to not only want me to go Sunday, they want me to go Wednesday, they want me to go to men's meetings, they want me to send my wife to women's meetings. She ain't my wife yet, I gotta send her to women's stuff. <laughs> See, but in hindsight, that's the easy part. Going to church every week is easy. That's the physical things. Not, not going to places that you used to go to in the beginning, it might be hard, but that's the easiest thing. I'm, I'm too tired to go to the places I should go right now. It's not hard to not go where I shouldn't go anymore. The physical part is the easy part. Somebody say amen. amen. There's got to be something going on that's more than what's happening physical when it comes to Jericho. During my walk, my Jericho walk up and down the streets of Brea here, I realized some things. In downtown Brea, you have the same places in new locations. We've walked this city a lot of times. We've done this conference seven times now, and, and one of the places is, is uh, the Brea Improv. Never been there, but we all know it's right downtown Brea. It's the Improv. You walk by the signs of all the comedians and reminisce about your unsaved life and how you used to like all these people. They're moving from their spot right now. They're moving to the corner where Old Navy used to be, so it's the same place in a new location. All they want is more space so they can do more of what they're already doing. And they can have more people come into what they're already doing. So physically, they've changed. Somebody say amen. amen. From one place to the next. But what's going on inside is just the same as it was last year and the year before and the, and the year before that. Amen. What about you? Is there some physical change going on, but inside it's the same old, same old? Come on. Amen. Then there's some places that I felt had the same location, but with new recipes and new names. On the corner where Daphne's used to be, it was Greek food, right? And it was pretty good. I, I thought Daphne's was all right. A little bit expensive, but it was all right. <laughs> now Daphne's is gone with the Greek food, and it's Deonda, Mexican food there now. <laughs> same location. Still putting out $10 meals, all that's changed is the name and the recipes. Physically, it looks different. The recipes are, are uh, written different, but it's the same thing. You're going to get a $10 meal, a little bit of food from the same location. Inside, nothing's changed. It's just, just a food spot. We can put a, a new title on ourselves, a new name on ourselves, make new recipes, but at the end of the day, if you're just still another $10 food spot, there's no real change and transformation that's happened in that place. I think sometimes a lot of people look at us and say, you're, you're the same person that you used to be, now you just call yourself a Christian. Different recipe, but you're just as selfish as you were before, but now you just claim Jesus is the reason for why you act that way. So what's going on inside? Joshua chapter 6, verse 17. The Lord says, The city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, 
and it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel accursed, and you trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. Stop there, verse 19. So look, God delivers Jericho into the hands of the people. And even though that they're, they're going to have to fight, there's going to be some physical things that are going on. Uh, he tests them or he lays the test before him and says, will you be changed on the inside? I'm going to bring the walls down. You are going to have to fight. And it would be easy for me to tell you, just fight and go, go take the land and, and you'll live in a new place and you'll have more territory. But he says, you know what? I want to deal with you as a man and I want to deal with you as a woman. I want to give you a, a, uh, a commandment and see if you'll be obedient. See if you will listen and allow your, your way of thinking and your way of behaving to change as well. Even with Jesus and Peter, Right? Jesus being betrayed, Peter pulls out his sword and he swipes and hits. And the physical, it's like, man, I'm fighting for God. I'm taking the land. I will not let him be uh, uh, taken. I will not let him be uh, uh, treated this way. And Jesus is like, look, that's cool in the physical, but where's your heart, man? We, we ain't going to win this battle with swords. Jesus heals the, the very man that's trying to, to, uh, to bind him and take him off to be crucified. He picks up his ear and heals it. He says, man, this physical stuff, you don't get it yet, Peter. we got to deal with hearts. God says the same thing here. Go in there and fight physically, but what about your obedience? What about your heart? He says, I'm going to give you freedom. I'm going to give you victory, but will you be obedient in that freedom and in that victory? See, it's getting tougher and tougher. Some of us thinking, man, I ain't going to Jericho next year. I liked the walk, and I liked the prayer, and I liked hearing the messages from all these different people, and, and I just felt, how many of us felt just close to God? You walk for seven days with the Lord, you just feel close to him. Amen. Praise God for that. Just so you know, he doesn't say, wait till next August to do it again. You can walk with him every day, spend some time with him. But God says, look, I'm giving you this, this freedom, I'm giving you this victory, but honestly, in your heart, what I really want is I want you to be obedient. So in Joshua 7, verse 1, it says, after the walls come down and they go in to take the land, Joshua 7, 1, but the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabadi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Come on, man, we, we, we crossed the Jordan we saw God, Jesus showed up with a sword and spoke to Joshua. We all walked around the city for, for seven days, seven times on the last day. The walls came down. We destroyed everybody. We burned everything. And you want to take of the accursed things? You won't be obedient? After all we've seen God do, the one thing he wanted is just your heart to say, in my victory and in this, this, uh, this miracle that you did for me, the one thing you told me is don't take the things from there that are accursed. And that's the very thing we want to do. The walls come down and maybe we see some things in there that we never saw before. Maybe there's some things in there that, that they had that we, did, we didn't have on the outside. Can you see it? Can you picture it a little bit? Like the wall comes crashing down. And you're like, oh, man, they got all that. And the Lord wants me to burn it. I see why he wants me to burn all this up. That ain't good. It's, it's just straight devil worship and evil, and it steals from us, and it used to destroy my life before. I'm burning all that, but that stuff looks kind of good. I mean, I could use that. I could even use it for the Lord. I'll put it over here, and right? God's like, look, look I want to see your heart. Has there been any real change? The problem with Achan was not that he didn't see the power of God. The problem with Achan was not that he didn't fight for the promised land. The problem with Achan was that he wasn't willing to be obedient and allow himself to be changed on the inside. Before Jericho, I can imagine that Achan was a man who wanted things, and given the opportunity, he would take them. And guess what? After Jericho, he was the same man. 
Things had changed physically, but on the inside, he was the same man he was before. If he wanted something, he would take it, and guess what? Now he had an opportunity, and that's exactly what he did. Are you any different after Jericho on the inside? Do you have more land? Do you look a little different? Have you seen the power of God? Did you do a little fighting? You know, you can, we show each other our scars, right? Mary was like, look at this blister. <laughs> I think it was like Saturday night. We got, we got ready to go to bed. She's like, ah! I was like, what's wrong, girl? She's like, look at, look at my heel. <laughs> we show each other our, our Christian battle wounds. Come on now. When we tell people we've been through some things, like, oh, you don't even know what I've been through. I used to walk, and, and somebody came at me, like, with this anger. And look, look at this post, what they said about me. We show our wounds. But that's all physical. On the inside, are we different? Are we different this week than we were two weeks ago before Jericho? I think a lot of us got some new land, and a lot of us have some new scars to show people that it took to get it. But man, if we spend a little bit of time looking at our hearts and our minds, we might say, man, that's the same mind. That's the same heart. If God tells me to do something today, I'm just as likely to say no as I was two weeks ago. Mm. Joshua 7, 19. So Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. Tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And there they are, hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent, with the silver under it. See, God gave clear instructions before the walls fell down, and he gave clear instructions after the walls fell down. How many of us are are looking now for the after the walls clear instruction? We know it was walk for six days, once a day, walk seven times on the seventh day, priest before the people, the guard before the priest, the trumpets are going to go off. That's when we shout. I mean, that's some pretty clear instruction. That's how it was for me on my Jericho walks. God begins to say, this is what's the problem. This is where it came from. This is how long it's been there. This is what needs to be done about it. Thank you for all of that. And then I make this shout and the walls come down. And then it's just like no man's land. What do I do now? I'm just going to do whatever I feel like doing. No. The same way I had clear instructions before, I got clear instructions now. Take the land and don't keep anything that doesn't belong to you. Don't keep anything that may look good, but it's not of God. Burn everything and then we'll give you some more instructions from there. When God says burn everything, you know what he means? Everything. Man, that's a beautiful Babylonian garment. Burn it up. When God says that all of the spoils are coming into the kingdom and not into your pockets as an individual, he means all of the spoils are coming into the kingdom and not into your pocket as an individual. You don't get the clump of gold and you don't get the 20 shekels of silver. There's a time and a place for everything. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, I'm sending you out and don't take anything with you. Not a knapsack, not a lunch bag not even something to defend yourself. You go out with nothing in the beginning so you can see my glory and you can see my power and you can see my ability to provide for you. It's the same thing here. You're going to take this land and no, you don't get to keep that. Yeah, I know you fought. You fought for the land, not the spoils. How many of you are fighting for land and not spoils? Be honest this morning. Do we want blessings or do we want freedom? Because I know most of us, when we pray, I won't put that on you, I'll put it on myself. I've had to check myself. I wrote the message. (laughs) I asked myself, I I wanted to share on it a little bit this morning. Obviously, I don't have time. Um, In in my notes from Jericho, one of the things that I wrote was, um, Lord, help me, a prayer, a prayer to pray. Lord, help me without blessing me. Think about that for a second. Lord, help me without blessing me. I don't want anything that can be seen. I don't want anything that can be physical. I don't want anything that makes my life more comfortable or better. Or I don't want anything. Do not bless me, but help me. What that meant to me when I was writing it was like, man, there's so much that you can do in me that has nothing to do with blessing me. And that's what I need to begin to pray for. 
See, he wants to give me land. He wants to give you land. He wanted to give Achan land, but Achan wanted the blessings. He wants us to give us the land of freedom. He wants to give us... So easy to be, like, blinded. I love Gary's testimony. He's like, he makes it look so easy. He makes it look so good. Like, man, my heart's already good. I'm giving 20 bucks every time I go into there. Why would I tithe? God's like, because it ain't about the $20. It ain't about the $200. It ain't about the $2,000. I'm trying to give you land and freedom from what the enemy is doing to you in the area of finances. But we don't want that. See, especially in the areas of our Jerichos, when we're disobedient, even in victory, our end ends up being worse than where we started. Just think about that. I started with the Jericho, and my life just, I knew I needed that land, and it was tough to always have that in me as a Christian. And then I had victory over the Jericho, but because I wanted the, the spoils, I end up in a worse place than when I just had the Jericho. Because I'm now, now I've seen God, and I've seen his ability, I've seen his power, and I'm just going to say, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I take the spoils. I'm worse off now than when I just had the Jericho. We covet things. And instead of burning them, they end up now, instead of being afar off in the distance inside Jericho, where did it end up? In Achan's tent, under his bed. See what I'm saying? There's things in, in Jericho, and that Jericho was out there in the distance, and you wanted to take that land. Even those things that you might covet, they were afar off. But now, they're in your home, and they're hidden under your bed. Every night, you lay your head right there, and it's like, it, the only thing separating you from it is a mattress, and it's just seeping through into you. We would have been better off leaving it in Jericho and keeping the Jericho. God's not telling us, don't take these spoils because uh, I don't want you to have anything. He knows what's best for us. Amen. So I'm going to share a story with you about a specific instruction from God, victory as well, but also the change inside of us that has to take place as we get ready to, to bring it to an end. The story is about a man named Naaman. He was a leopard. He was an army commander, and he wanted to be healed. This is 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 4. A leper, right? So he's got uh, his skin has lost all of its color. He's got sores and boils and open wounds all over his body. That's what it means to be a leper. He's the, he's the commander of the Syrian army, um, and the king of Syria uses him because even though they hate lepers and nobody can even be around them, that's how people are with us. They'll use you if you can use you. If you're a good commander of an army, I don't even care that you're a leper. I just won't touch you. Come command my army. I feel like that's how I used to be in the world. I was good to a lot of people for a lot of things, but I was a leper, man. It was, it was just, there was just dirt and filth and open wounds. But when people can get something from you, they'll take it. I can't just point the finger because I was willing to do the same thing. I didn't care. I'd be around a whole bunch of lepers if I could get something out of them. That's Naaman's lot in life right now. Naaman went and told his master, the king, saying, Thus and thus said this girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed, took with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman, my servant, to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. Think about that. The king of Syria knows that he can't heal this man of leprosy, but somehow there's a king of Israel who has a God who can heal leprosy. So he sends his commander of his army to that king and to that God. It happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Do I kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Even the king of Israel didn't take it to God. He just knew he wasn't God. It says this, Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. So it was when Elisha the man of God heard the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariots, stood at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, I'll surely come out 
or excuse me, he'll surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hands over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be cleaned? So he turned and went away in rage. Stop there real quick, verse 12. He comes to the king. King can't do anything for him, sends him to the king of Israel. The king of Israel says, I'm not God. I can't do anything for you. But the prophet, the man of God who hears from God says, bring him to me. He'll know that God has a man on this planet. How many of us could say that? Who's hurting? Who's in need? Who's struggling? Come to me and you'll know that God has a life and a man and a woman who can do something for you and help you in a way that nobody else can. Yeah. So he says, I'm willing because he's hurting, and he comes to that man, and, and Elisha doesn't even come outside. He sends his disciple, hey, go tell him to go in the Jordan and wash. We don't have the time this morning, but we know that they crossed the Jordan before Jericho seven times around the city, dipped yourself seven times. Y'all ain't ready today. <laughs> Tells him, go over there and wash. He says, what? You're going to send your servant, your disciple out here to talk to me? You're supposed to come out and say, oh, Lord God of heaven. Right now, bring a wind and let it wash over Naaman and let it just heal his leprosy. He's like, I wanted a big show. He's like, we don't got time for shows around here. God is God. He's real, and he'll heal you if you let him, but you have to be obedient. How many Christians are coming to church for a show and not to be obedient? He says, I said, I'm not going. I could have washed. I didn't have to come all the way over here. I got a shower at home I can wash in. Verse 13 his servant, his servant, Naaman's servant, came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Man, sometimes the servants are the wisest ones. He was like, if he would have told you to jump seven times on your left foot, seven times on your right foot, run all the way down to the south, and then run back to the north, and then say a particular prayer and hold your rosary and do this, you would have done it. All he said is wash, and you're going to be too ignorant and prideful to do it. Verse 14, so he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. He returned to the man of God, he and all his uh, aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant. Sounds a lot like Rahab, right? You're the only one that has a real God, and I want to be with you. Take a gift from me. But he said, this is, this is Elisha, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Naaman said, then if not, please let your servant be given two mule loads of earth, for your servant will no longer offer either burnt offering or sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. You hear that? He got saved, he got healed, he got clean, and what he says is, let me have some of your dirt because I'm going to go make an altar where I can tithe and offer I will not offer anymore to any God but your God. So when I go back home, I want the soil to build this altar on. It's crazy. But we got to preach for 10 minutes to tell people that they should tithe. You've been healed? You've been touched? You've been forgiven? You've been loved? But he can't get one out of $10? Come on now. Y'all going to get me in trouble. Yet in this thing, may the Lord pardon your servant. When, when my master goes into the temple of Ramon to worship there, he leans on my hand and I bow down to the temp, in the temple of Ramon. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord please pardon your servant in this thing. Then he said to him, go in peace. So he departed from him a short distance. But Gehazi, say Gehazi. Gehazi. Oh, come on, y'all ain't tired. Gehazi. Gehazi. The servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, look. My master has spared Naaman the Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he got down into the chariot to meet him. And he said, is all well? And he said, all is well. But my master Elisha sent me saying, indeed, just now, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the mountains of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of garments. So Naaman said, please take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of garments and handed them to, to two of his servants. And they carried them on ahead of him. When he came to the citadel, he took them from their hand and stored them away where? In his house. 
Then he let the men go, and they departed. Now when he went and stood before his master, Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant didn't go anywhere. Then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it time to receive money and to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous and white as snow. That's crazy. Elisha heals him and says, I don't want anything from you. It ain't about me and it ain't about your spoils. It's about the power of God. And now that you know that there's a God in heaven, you need to serve him. Leave. Go and sin no more. And he's so humble, he says, look, I'm a, I'm a man under authority. I'm going to go back. And the king holds my arm when he prays. I'm going to be there for that king. I'm going to serve. I'm going to have to go into the temple when he goes. But may the Lord forgive me for even going into that temple. When he bows down, I bow down just to hold him. I'm not bowing down to that God anymore. And Elisha says, I know your heart. Go. All right. Then his servant, who's seen the power of God, been taking ground with Elisha. Elijah went off to heaven in a whirlwind, and, he, and Elisha got a double portion of what was on the Spirit of God on Elijah. And now Gehazi is Elisha's disciple. And what would have happened to him is he would have got a double portion of what was already on Elisha, which is already a double portion of what was on Elijah. But instead of going for the things of God and the power of God and the Spirit of God, you know what he went for? Some silver and some garments, the spoils. He did the same thing that Achan did. He went back and hid it in his house. What, um, Hamilton, on Saturday night, he said, there's some things in your house that have to get out. Amen. Listen to the messages. I remember when he said it. He says, you have some things in your house that have to come out. We've got some Babylonian garments and some shekels of silver under our beds that have to come out, whatever they might be. His condition was worse than where he started. At the end of all that, Elijah says, my heart, my heart went with you. I didn't, have to, I didn't have to see what you did. I'm always with you. I love you. My heart went with you. I saw him turn back and give you that stuff, and you go hide it in your house. So now that you know what you get, what he got healed of, it now belongs to you. I feel like God is saying the same thing to us as we go to take the land of our Jericho. It's not that he didn't want Achan or his family to have anything. What he's saying is, my, my heart is with you. Don't take that stuff and put it under your bed. My heart is with you. I love you. So we're going to close with what happens to Achan at the end. Joshua 7, 16. Isaiah, you can come. Joshua rose early in the morning, brought Israel by their tribes. He doesn't know who it is yet. And the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the clan of Judah. He took the family of the Zarites. He, he brought the family of the Zarites by man, and Zabdi was taken. Then he brought his household, man by man. And Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him. And tell me now what you've done. Do not hide it from me. Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I've sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I've done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And there it was hidden in his tent with the silver under it. They took them from the midst of the tent, brought them to Joshua, to the children of Israel, and laid them out before the Lord. Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. Joshua said, why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. Then they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. Achan was supposed to be living in the promised land, testifying about what he had seen God do. And you know what ends up happening to him? Him? 
Everything he owned and his children are killed for the spoils of war. For the victory that God gave him and wanting things that didn't belong to him and it wasn't the right time. God doesn't say, I'm not going to give it to you. Later on when Jesus sends his disciples out, you know what he says? Take a knapsack now. And if you don't have a sword, sell your jacket and buy a sword. There's going to be some fighting. It just wasn't the right time, Achan. The same thing Elisha said to Gehazi. It's not, is it the time for us to get this stuff? No, we got to preach. We got to heal. We got to show them that the power of God is not about what we can take from you, but what we can give to you. Amen. It's not time for spoils. Amen. What do you do when the walls fall? Figure out what time it is. It's time to fight. And it's time to be obedient. Let's pray. Can we stand? This is not a depressing message. <laughs> this is an encouragement. You know what would be depressing? For me to be sitting in the promised land and watching you and your family be stoned. That's depressing. How many friends do you think Aiken had that were like, man, I can't believe you took that stuff. That's not a friend. <laughs> a friend says, Aiken, don't do it. Joshua, stop him, please. He needs help. This morning, you have a friend. You have a friend that says, don't do it. <laughs> it's not the time for spoils. It's the time to take the land. It's not the time to sit back paralyzed because the wall has come down. It's the time to put on the full armor of God and go into battle. It's not the time to hear the voice of God saying, here's the next instructions, and you say, no, all I wanted was the wall to come down. It ain't that time. It's a different time, church. Amen. And you have a friend, a friend that's here to tell you that. And I thank God that I have friends that have told me that. It ain't the time for spoils. It's a time for prayer. It's a time for obedience. It's a time to fight. It's a time to remember uh, that there's another Jericho after this one. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me?